Hello. After a hot and dry June, we're now nearing the end of July and things haven't changed that much, have they? We've seen some rain, but it's really variable depending where you are. Nowhere near enough and it is causing issues on the farm. In a moment, we'll hear of the effect on feeding livestock. First to our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Sean, you're out there in the fields on a daily basis witnessing what's actually happening. How are things? Well, yes, good morning, Sean. And your choice of word is absolutely bang on, variable. You know, it sums up the season and it sums up what we're about to get for harvest. And a good example of what I mean is what happened on Monday night. I took 3.8 millimetres of rain in a thunderstorm on Monday night. If you went 10 miles west of me, Uh, in a straight line they took seven to nine mil and if you go 15 to 20 miles east of me in a straight line with that same place in Gainsborough out to Ryby Way they took about 12 mil of rain but half a mile either side of that line they took nothing at all all over the place the variability in the amount of rainfall is the key to this harvest because if you go back to the beginning of June and to sum up this season for you between the 1st of May and the 22nd of July where we are now My records show that my average rainfall for that period is usually somewhere between 150 and 170 millimetres of rain, or thereabouts. This year I've taken 31.8 millimetres of rain. I took between the 29th of April and the end of May, I took 24 mil. Between the 1st of June and the end of June, I took 4 mil. And this month so far, I've taken 3.8 mil. So you see the variability because there are some people who took that 31.8 mil on the 1st of June. You know, there were people on that Saturday out at Woodhall who took 48 mil. Leadenham, they took 45 mil. Stragglethorpe, they took 83 mil. And if you were fortunate enough, or one of your fields was fortunate enough to have the right crop in it and get hit by that amount of rain, then it will have stood it in good stead and the yield will be an awful lot better than it is for some of your neighbours or some of your other fields, which won't be yielding like that. Now, I would say, from what I'm picking up out there in the field, from talking to a lot of people across the country, not just the county, that a very good average yield for rape this year will be somewhere around about 3.75 tonnes per hectare or a tonne and a half per acre. That will be a very good yield. And whereas yield is important, in a year like this, it's quality which is more important because when we get lower yields, the price will be better and the price will be even better than that if the quality is top notch. So fingers crossed it will be. We have to rely on that. So if you have neighbours who are telling you they've done five tonnes per hectare of oilseed rape or two tonnes to the acre average over 500 acres, do one of two things. Take it with a pinch of salt because I nearly guarantee it will be the same people that are telling you this year that tell you that every year or just think if you know them better than that they will have had the right amount of rain at the right time and you've been very very unlucky there's a lot of variability out there in the field we're seeing differences in varieties elgar for example is a very mucky sample we're seeing a lot of red seeds in the elgar so when you look at the heap instead of it looking black it looks brown and if they're all seed rape they will gradually darken over the next few weeks in the heap and just like with everything else in life it's not on the outside which matters it's what's on the inside which is important important and as long as the flesh is yellow it should be absolutely fine hopefully the oils will be high i'm hearing reports of anything from 44 to 45 and a half 
that'll be okay that'll be good it just helps the price but the price of rapes going up just like the price of wheat is going up because there's so much uncertainty about what harvest is going to do i know we're importing french wheat now we're talking about doing it because there is some nervousness about whether we're going to be able to fulfill with the uk harvest so we can do nothing about what the weather has done what we can do is look after the livestock farmers in this industry because before you go selling the straw to power stations or chopping it back into the land speak to your neighbors who've got livestock ask them if they need your straw ask them if they know anybody else who needs your straw because it's going to be at a premium this year the crops are going to produce very little that means the livestock boys are going to struggle for bedding throughout the winter it would be wrong of us absolutely wrong to sell for burning when the livestock farmers need it as much as they're going to need it this year so please spare a thought for that this year and also remember you can you can bale pea straw bean straw oilseed rape straw but as far as oilseed rape goes if you've used aminopyrrolid so if you've used astrocurb on the crop through the year you cannot remove that straw and use it for animal bedding or animal feed it won't harm the animal but it will pass straight through the animal and go into the manure if you spread that onto the land on a susceptible crop the following year you may well cause problems so unless you're taking it off for burning you've got to chop it back into the land or leave it where it is you cannot use it for livestock bedding and while we're talking about all seed rape over the course of the next few weeks we're going to be thinking about putting next year's crop in it's going to be a game of poker pick the right varieties with some vigor the hybrid vigor seems to have paid off this year pick those sorts of varieties and for goodness sake think about what you're doing in terms of the soil conditions you're putting rape into probably better to put it into dust than it is to put it into a seed bed with a sniff of moisture knowing there is none on the horizon coming your way um, because this year low disturbance may well be the way forward you may well want to speak to contractors who have drills which are capable of simply cutting it into a slot and sealing it in because the less less moisture we can lose from these seed beds the better it will be for establishing oilseed rape this autumn and i think if you're considering taking a power harrow out there to bash these clods into submission it'll be like stirring golf balls in a bucket you'll lose every bit of moisture there possibly is so bide your time play a game of poker keep your cards close to your chest listen to what people are saying and for goodness sake let's pray the met office can get it right and forecast rain that actually comes when they say it's going to so there's a long way to go before harvest things are very variable out there accept that and just understand that we're going to get better money in the bank if we've got good quality and lower harvest yields than we would with high yields and poor quality thank you sean sean sparling of sparling agronomy services we touched on some of the implications for agriculture of the heatwave a couple of weeks back, from vegetables rotting in the field to the problem of fodder. At this week's Driffield Show, the UK's largest one-day agricultural show, I chatted with Rodney Hamilton. He's from Thressendale Farm at Acklam. He won a top prize for his Aberdeen Angus. We'll talk in a moment about the problem of feeding the cattle. But first, Rodney, what did you win? We today have been very fortunate and have won reserve championship with our bull, Thrustendale Defender, a homebred bull, just over two years old. Um, lovely, calm bull, um, bred particularly for the gene pool that we're using, which is easy, easy carving, um, milkiness, fast growth and a kind, calm temperament. How long have you been uh, breeding? Uh, we're in year three now, and so we're sort of halfway through the five-year plan, um, and it's really only this year that we've put our head above the parapet and have come out to show our stock that we've bred at home. And you must be very pleased, therefore, to, uh, to win. Over the moon. 
first time at Driffield as well, so beginner's luck maybe. What were the judges looking for, do you think? Um, I think they, they were looking for length. I think they were looking for breadth as well. Um, a comment from the judge was that maybe he needed a bit more meat on his back end, on his on his um, sirloin, but of course this bull has been out working. He hasn't been fed for the show season at all. Um, he's been given hay because we've got no grass like everybody else. But he's pretty much in his working clothes with a bit of shampoo and set this morning. I was going to talk about feeding. I mean, he's eating at the moment, I should say, hay. It's been difficult, hasn't it, the last uh, couple of months? It's been hard. We're breaking into the winter, winter feed already, which is, of course, not a particularly good thing to be doing um, financially. But we've got no grass. We had 13 millimetres of rain the other night on, on Monday, and we thought, yippee, we're actually going to get some green growth. But so far, we're waiting for it. It's, it's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, as you say, this is, it's not only now having an effect with the heat, but it's going to have an effect right the way through the winter and into next year now, isn't it? Unfortunately, yes. Our second crop of, of silage, for example, is about three inches long. Um, no good at all yet. I've no idea when we'll be able to harvest that. And um, we won't have that all-important grass at the back end, September time, October, before we put them in for the winter. So it's a tough year. But the upside is, of course, that it's sun and uh, we haven't got any mud. Well, that's true. That is true. There's always an upside. Always, always an upside. But how are they coping with the with the particular weather at the moment? I mean, obviously they will prefer the grass, but they're managing with the hay. They're managing with the hay very well. Um, they've got some shade on their fields, so they tend to spend much of the afternoon under under the biggest tree they can find. Um, but no, they're in good shape. They're in really good shape. I'm very proud of them and um, very fortunate that. Um, that we've won the prizes that we won today. And you say three years into the five-year plan, what's the next two years in store and what happens after the well, five-year plan? Um, maybe next year we might be big enough or think we're big enough to perhaps have a look at Yorkshire Show. Mm-hmm. Um, that is up against the very, very big and professional boys, of course, but um, maybe we'll be ready, if not in 2020. Um, but we'd like to do Moulton, Rydale, Driffield, and the sort of local Yorkshire show season next year anyway. And what does it mean being at a show and, and winning a, a prize that, like this? Is it good? Is it publicising the farm? Is it, is, it, is it personal pride to be able to take the rosettes home? I think it's a combination of all things, really. Um, it is a very good question because for the first couple of years, I didn't feel that we were right. We had some good beasts, we were breeding some good animals, but I didn't think that we were quite ready to go and put our head above the parapet and, and say, here we are, Throssendale Farm. Um, now we've got to the point where I think we're ready for that. Um, we've sold some good bulls and we've got some very good reports back from those herds that they've moved into, about, particularly about easy calving. So um, we're, we are the new boys, but we're taking it very, very seriously and um, with high hopes for the future. And what was it three years ago made you want to go for Aberdeen Angus? I used to farm Dexters. I had a very good sale with them in 2015 in Moulton, um, but I needed a more commercial breed. Um, and because my farm is really quite small, we needed to maximize the asset and and have high value animals and now these are all pretty high value animals which i couldn't really survive on a normal commercial herd on that acreage that's rodney hamilton from thrussendale farm with his prize-winning aberdeen angus staying with cattle last week i sat back and watched the astronaut 5 in action from netherlands firm Laley. it's just had its uk launch and automatically milks a herd of cows indeed with a bit of bribery of food the cows patiently queue up to be milked 
with no farmer's intervention. David Henderson is MD of Lely Centre Longtown. He's taught me through the new machine. The A5 is the sort of next generation move on from the A4. If we imagine that the A4 was designed around the cow, in that the cow has easier access straight in, straight through the machine. The A5 is on the same sort of framework, but the technology or the update is on the, on the actual technology and the workings of the machine. Um, the arm itself is now sort of a self-supporting arm and you can actually move it with your finger, which then means that we've got the ability to drive the arm with electric motors with no pressure against them, which has resulted in a much quicker movement and a more precise movement on the arm. That has reduced the attachment time by around 10 seconds. Um, The next main change on that is the, the software. Uh, and the way that that then communicates to the computer it's a much simpler system on the on the software of the of the robot in that it's designed on the basis of that if you give a child an ipad they don't read the instruction book it's intuitive and this is designed on that same principle from an engineer's point of view the components have then been reduced because of the of taking away the necessity for valves and, and pneumatic rams simplified the actual mechanics of the machine. In simplest terms it is a, a self-milking machine really, isn't it? Yeah, top and bottom of the cow, the, cow, the incentive for the cow is to come for food, so she's going looking for the treats what the robot is then doing is a calculation on it on each individual cow's production rate and then obviously feeding the cow if she's due to be milked and then milking her so it means that the, total, the cows have total free access to come and go as they please. If the cow is not due to be milked, it simply opens the gate in front and, and lets the cow walk out again. We're sat here looking at the demonstration at the moment. Certainly they were earlier, they're not at the moment, but they were actually queuing up as well, weren't they? As you say, the treat is the food there, they're just going up, queuing up, going in, coming yeah. out again. Yeah, there is a, a sort of balance between the feed fence and the, and the, and the machine with the feed beings fed at the feed fence so we, we do sort of balance that in order that the cow wants something from the robot um, and that, that creates that incentive then for them to keep coming around the machine obviously new carved cows who are then generally low on their energy level they are looking for food so the cow that's in the, in the higher production stage of a, of a lactation is looking for food generally more than the, than the late lactation cow so, which is exactly what we want because she's then probably going to get milk four, possibly even five times a day um, with the, the later lactation cow reducing down to maybe one and a half, maybe two times and, and we end up with this average of three milkings on the, on the herd. I, I know my listener well. At this moment in time, they'll be saying how long before it pays for itself. I guess it does, does it, over a short period of time? Obviously depends a little bit on, on, on yield and whether the existing herd is stood on its yield and, and, and sort of and to a degree productivity. On the average increase on a, on a, a Lely farm in the UK is around 18% increase in milk. Um, on a conventional system, you would still expect to get 10 to 15%. So we tend to say, well, use that as your, your calculations. 10 to 15% 
on a milk increase with the robot being financed over seven, maybe even up to ten years, that increase in milk should more than cover the cost of the, of the, of the payments on the machine. Are you amazed by the technology at the moment? I mean, you know, we're obviously we're both very young men and uh, we're always been used to this technology. We can't remember a time when there wasn't technology. <coughs> it's radio, we can get away with it. But, I mean, are you, are you amazed by, you know, just what can now be achieved technically? Yes, and when this machine was actually launched, which is about three months ago, we had a little bit of an insight from the from the manufacturer as to where they are intending to go with the, the technology. Uh, and there are some very interesting things coming down the line more about the self-diagnostics on the machine and and some of it quite honestly is mind-boggling it's 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 absolutely amazing where they plan to take this and it's all about i know that you know the, the company in the netherlands that it's, it's the aim really is is about making life easier for agriculture isn't it that's what it's about yeah absolutely the whole point and concept or the philosophy of the company is to to the, the strap line is to have a, a more profitable and enjoyable farming future sort of thing and and that's that's obviously from the point of view of efficiency to create the profitability and then from taking the, the labor away from certain jobs in order to create a better lifestyle for the farmer himself uh, we all crave that better lifestyle don't we that's uh, david henderson of lc longtown on that robotic milking machine just launched in the UK from the Netherlands. And as David himself said, it really is mind-boggling, the technology now out there. A few weeks ago on the programme, we spoke to Gail Sprake of the Rare Breed Survival Trust as their latest at-risk register, for want of a better phrase, was released. Well, one breed that's surviving, but only with a lot of work, is the Lincoln Longwool, a beautiful sheep and one that needs saving with only 800 left. I'm delighted to say I caught up recently with Louise Fairburn, chairman of the Lincoln Longwalls. We're in category three of the Rare Breed Survival Trust watch list, so um, then there's no sheep any higher than us, so we're, we're as endangered as they get, if you like. Um, and, and we need people to just acknowledge this breed of sheep if we want them to survive for future generations. We need new breeders, people to take over from us when we finish, so it's just to ensure that they actually are perpetual and they keep going. What is it about the Longwall that's so special? Well, they're just a super charismatic sheep. They're fabulous. They're highly domesticated. They've lived alongside humans for, what, something along in the region of 700 years. They're used to us, and, and we love them. And obviously, how long have you been involved with the association or the, the group? Um, I've had my flock for 15 years, so I've been a member for 15 years. Um, I joined council quite early, and... I've chaired the association probably for about six years, something like that. And what was it 15 years ago got you into it, involved? I um, got a house with some land and I needed something to eat the grass and just by absolute chance ended up with this fabulous breed, Lincoln Longwalls, and, and they got under my skin and I, I, I just think they're just fabulous and I'm incredibly passionate about them and, and just really want them to survive. And that's it, isn't it? it, it they, they need... As you mentioned, the support here. If people don't know which are the Lincoln Longwalls, they, they kind of look like they've got dreadlocks, don't they? That's, a, that's one way of suggesting it. They do a little bit, but they were, they were bred as a dual-purpose breed for meat and wool, but primarily for wool. We're, 
when wool was valuable, the wool check was everything and it, and, it, and it was really worth keeping Lincoln's. And they used to say that the wool check paid the rent on the farm and that was saying something then. Um, but yet it's actually a really unique wool and, and, and the clue's in the name, it's long, it's a long fibre. So a lot, lots of sheep grow much shorter fibre but in, in its heyday in, in sort of the Middle Ages, because it was a long fibre, it could be used straight from the sheep without any spinning. So you cut out all that processing and you could use it in tapestries or to you know, sew things and, and it was just a really valuable commodity before we had polyester and all those sorts of things, nylon. And it's, I mean, wool is so versatile today but it's not... It's not worth that much anymore, is it, sadly, as a farmer? Sadly not, and, you know, we we talk about being being much greener and eco-friendly and wool really is quite eco-friendly but we've all got used to lycra and, and we love that but but you know wool still is that quintessential living fibre it keeps you warm in the winter and cool in the summer it, it's a living fibre absolutely but it, not a lot of money in it at the moment i guess not tons of money in it no, no. we um well the wool board buy the <laughs> fleeces from us if you want to send them to the wool board and we a few years ago we were getting nearly a pound a kilo and, and this coming year is predicted to be about 60p a kilo um considering the clip an average of about eight kilos it's not much it just about covers the cost of shearing i was gonna say but you pay more for the shearers than you are for the wool yeah you? it's true it's true it's but we got to keep them. They need to survive. So don't be put off anybody listening who thinks I'd like to become a you know a breeder and keep wool. Well, who knows when we might need wool again? Things change, don't they? History has a nasty habit of repeating itself. And if we lose the genetic codes to grow this particular kind of wool that the long wools are sort of infamous for, we've lost it for good. And, and we don't want to do that because we'd be we'd be mad to do that. Can you say the environment's the big thing at the moment? Everyone's talking about the environment, plastics and all that. Maybe wool is the future. You know, we I've, we've talked before. On on the programme that you know it's great insulation for buildings and you know aircraft are using it that kind of thing so it is really this versatile thing maybe it'll come back in circle you hope so yeah I mean in, with today's technology you know you'd think we could find some great uses for wool and we are finding new uses for wool which is, is very encouraging um, and we're great at growing wool in this country it's a fabulous commodity great British wool it's known around the world really even though it's it's not in as high a demand as it was it's still a fantastic product it's important work that they do at the Lincoln Longwalls. That's uh, Chairman of the Longwalls, uh, Louise Fairburn. Right, on to our update from Open Field. It's Rebecca Pierce this week. Hello, Rebecca. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Sean. So what's uh, happening? Well, Harvest 2018 is most definitely here. Since last weekend, we've had lots of winter barley cut in my area in East Yorkshire, although I've only had a handful of growers make a start on oilseed rape harvest. Speaking to my customer base and from what I've seen on my Twitter feed, both yield and quality on winter barley is very varied, although definitely could have been a lot worse. Yield averages I'm hearing are between 2.5 to 3.5 tonnes to the acre, with some growers finding the six-row hybrid varieties to be performing better, whilst others prefer the two-row conventionals. While spot barley values remain unchanged on the week, the forward market appears to have firmed, with a strong carry available for August movement and then a respective pound per tonne per month carry going forward. Certainly in my area, there is north of £5 a tonne carry between July and August ex-farm values. Elsewhere in Europe, there too seems to be concerned over yield and quality, with the German Farming Association, DBV, this week cutting their winter barley forecast down to circa 7.3 million tonnes from near 8 million tonnes earlier this year. 
In the UK, there is limited progress on our wheat harvest. Early reports on first cut wheats are putting yields down anywhere between 15 and 20% versus last year, but it really is too early to read too much into things until more progress is made. The current UK wheat crop figure is potentially looking circa 13.5 million tonnes. Production and quality concerns across Europe are definitely supporting the market at present. London wheat futures for November 18 are up over £5 a tonne versus a week ago and eyes will certainly be on the production numbers from Northern Europe after one of the worst droughts in decades. Outside of the EU and Australia looks like it's adding to the world's production problems with no rain in the forecast through to the end of the month. Aussie new crop wheat futures are trading at contract highs. With this market at current levels, it is also worth looking at our Harvest 2019 wheat values, which are currently seeing a little bit of selling interest. In other news, it is reported that a lot of volume of corn has been traded into the UK in the past fortnight, as well as imported wheat into the north of England, as consumers look to take cover where possible. Over in the oilseeds market and strategy grains revised their oilseed rape yields down for both Poland, Sweden and Germany this week with Polish yield estimates reduced to 2.7 tonnes to the hectare versus over 3 tonnes to the hectare as their five-year average. The Canadian canola production estimate has also been lower on the back of continued dry weather and severe droughts in East Australia are also cutting their rapeseed production forecast by near 10%. Let's have a look at prices now. And Harvest Feed Wheat is currently trading at circa 160 to 170 pounds a ton with a carry through to November where you can achieve 165 to 175 pounds a ton X farm. Feed barley for as available spot movement is trading around 140 to 145 pounds a ton but with a very strong carry going forward with August prices ranging from 150 to 155 pounds a ton and then a pound per ton per month carry going forward. Harvest oilseed rate values are circa 295 to 300 pounds a ton with a strong carry into September where some growers are able to achieve around 305 pounds a ton and then a strong forward carry again to the pre-Christmas market where 310 pounds a ton is achievable X farm in certain areas. As always, for the latest prices, please get in touch with your Open Field Farm Business Manager and for any sampling requests this harvest, please get in touch also. Thank you, Rebecca. Before the weather, come back, come back. Uh, Something special yesterday, wasn't it? Yes, I did turn the ripe old age of 27. Wow. Well, happy birthday. Thank you very much. On to the weather. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. There is some rain to come in the forecast this week, but for the time being, it's still dry, mostly anyway. We've got some patchy cloud, 25 at the high. The wind from the northwest at about 10 miles an hour. Overnight tonight, clear skies, quite humid, 16 will be the low. We're looking at the wind from the west-northwest at about 2 miles an hour. And then Monday, the possibility of some rain could be heavy in places where it does fall. 27 the high, so warm again. The wind from the southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Clearer skies again overnight Monday into Tuesday. Very humid, 17 at best the low. The wind from the west, barely noticeable at 3 miles an hour. And then through Tuesday, another warm day with patchy cloud, maybe a shower in places, 26 the high. The wind from the west-southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Clearer skies once again overnight Tuesday into Wednesday. A little cooler, 13 the low. The wind from the north-northwest at about 5 miles an hour. And then it's a cloudy, overcast middle of the week, 25 the high. The wind from the west-southwest at about 5 miles an hour. 
And then as we head towards the latter end of the week, it looks like there could be more sunshine. It will be dry, very humid as well. Temperatures may be at 28 Celsius in places, certainly mid-20s with overnight lows in their mid-teens for the latter end of the week. That's the forecast for this week. Next week, hopefully an update from Nick Morris at British Sugar. What effect is the weather having on beat? Any concerns for the new campaign? That's hopefully next week. If Nick's available, we'll find out together. Until then, have a good week's farming and maybe try a rain dance. It might work. You never know.